All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Today we have on Michelle Williams. Michelle, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here. And uh, we were just having kind of a free conversation before we hit record. And Michelle, it's really interesting to hear so many of the different parallels that you and I have. Just it's kind of the top of your game professionally and then health issues uh, come in and then you had to completely make a pivot in your life and you started into what you're doing now from a very challenging place. And there's uh, some things you were starting to share that I can't wait to actually hear for uh, here live uh, here with everybody, all of you listening, all my friends about some of the things you went through as you made that transition coming out of adversity and who are you to kind of step into some of these roles and how you're doing some of the things. So here's a little background on Michelle and then we're going to be talking about this. You are a certified profit first professional, right? So we're going to dig into a little bit what that is, right? And with your background, your focus is helping creatives, right? Creative business owners focus on financial health and profitability of their companies. And, you know, that's definitely when you're in the kind of the creative, when you're wired in a creative space, right? I remember uh, reading uh, Creativity Inc. Ah. It was an amazing book just about how people with that really creative, artistic, you know, mindset, you know, how do you kind of, you know, really be effective in the business world, right? Uh, But anyway, uh, you really, you know, what we're going to be talking about today is some of the things that you do, but how do we kind of look at both, you know, profitability and possibility, right? Your company is called Scarlet Thread Consulting, and you really, you know, work with your clients to understand the impact of the choices that they make, what it means for financial success, business success, but you also have an incredible story. So I'm excited to really dig in and share this. But so as we start, so people can get to know you a little bit, Michelle, I'd love for you to kind of share the journey in your story, kind of leading up to where you really had to make a pivot in your life because of your health. And then we can kind of see where that brought you. Sure. So again, thanks for having me on your podcast, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. And like you, I'm, I'm excited about where the conversation is going to go. So I would say in my family life and career, we've had, I personally have had two main pivots. So I started my career working for Dun & Bradstreet building financial software. That was my job right out of college. And I did that for 10 years. And at the time I had um, at, towards the end of that, I had a one-year-old and about, I guess, a three-and-a-half-year-old. And our company got bought, and they started shuffling things around. And I found myself unemployed three weeks after we had bought our home on, on two salaries. And what was so interesting about that was... Wait, so um, you qualified for the loan based on dual income. Right, two, six figures. You're in the middle of moving in and unpacking boxes, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you lose your job. Correct. Three weeks well, in. that's not stressful. Yeah, two six-figure salaries. We buy our house. We move in. And three weeks later, I lose my job because our company got bought and sold. And they were cutting out the development. They were going more on a maintenance kind of plan. So they just cut out the whole development plan. And so I was the development manager. Anyway, so I come home. I'm sitting here in my new house with my one-year-old, my three-and-a-half-year-old. We have no family around us. My husband works in the same, he worked in the same software industry. And every time I would go out to start interviewing again, I would have this sick feeling in my stomach. And um, just knowing how difficult it was to leave my children, that little, 
the cost of daycare for young ones were so expensive. And I can remember saying to my husband, I was just praying about it, praying about what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I'd always thought of myself as a career woman, to be honest. It's just the way I just couldn't imagine not doing something. But I loved my kids. And so I said to my husband one day, I said, you know, I really feel like God's wanting me to stay home with kids. And he's like, you can't, you can't. Like, do you know what our budget looks like? And I said, I do know what our budget looks like. I said, but I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And I said, what do you think God's telling you? And he was funny. He's like, don't bring God into this. I said, I have to. And then he said, okay, he's telling me that you need to stay home, but I just don't know how it's going to work. And I said, then we're going to have to just act in faith. And he's like, I know, I know. And so at that point, I quit looking for a job. And I was with my kids and working some at our church. And I put Psalm 25 which is one of my favorite Psalms. And it's show me your way, teach me your path, guide me in your steps and I'll walk in it. And so I put it on bright pink paper, put it up in the window over the sink because as a mom of littles, I was washing dishes all the time in sippy cups. And I just kept meditating on that Psalm. And I tell you all that because at the time, again, we had just been in our house, you know, a couple of months at this point, I started making window treatments for our home and decorating it. And new neighbors started coming over. And the next year, it was um, January of 2000, I had been praying, God, help me do something so that I can help bring some money in while I'm also home raising my children, because this is a heavy load for my husband to carry along. And I would like to help. And what can I do that allows me to be mom and wife and part-time business owner? And I'm not even kidding when I say, I've been praying that for months. In January of 2000, my doorbell rang and two of my neighbors were standing there and one had a bolt of fabric in her hand and the other was with her and she said, hey, we've been in your house a couple different times for play dates and stuff. If you'll make window treatments for our home the way you've made them for your home, we'll pay you. And I said, okay. And so I started my first business in the sitting room of our bedroom while my children slept and while they were at mother's morning out. And I say no, that wait, now, you, now, and I want to be clear here because I think this is cool, right? Because I, I think this is, you know, there's some things that happen first, right? You, there's a goal that you have, right? You want to be supporting the family. You're praying about it. You're seeking it. It's definitely, I think there's almost this concept that I call spiritual magnetism that draws us into this place of convergence into the will that God has for us. And I think what you just shared is such a beautiful example for that. Because as you get that lined up and you're praying about it, and all of a sudden you knock on the door and here's some ladies standing there with fabric saying, we will pay you for something you are really good at. Exactly. When that happened, what was going through your mind, Michelle? Well, what was going through my mind, if I were to even go back into the 10 years, even when I was working in software, I never learned to sew growing up because in my mind, I came from a small mill town in South Carolina where everybody sewed in the mill. So I refused to do all of that growing up thinking that that would trap me, right? So when I get older, I wanted to do it on my own so that I could do nice things for my home. So it just, it was such a natural talent that my husband said to me one time, you don't need to read directions. I'm like, no, I said, I just know how this works. I was like, I said, it's gotta be a God thing because I just understand this. Like I just know it. And so I'd started making things and I had thought to myself at one point, Oh, I think I might like to do interior design or do some of these things. 
But I'm going to be honest, John, I wasn't willing to give up my six-figure income to go do it. Do you mm, see that? Okay. I yeah. wasn't willing to give up six figures to go try to start something new. But when God took the six figures away, there was nothing. I was like, well, I might as well give it a shot. Like now I'm not going from <laughs> six figures down. I'm going from nothing up. And I do believe Maybe you should have started sooner. <laughs> well, and I'll say this. I do believe in all honesty that God was prompting my heart to give up that job. And I think I was out of fear I wouldn't do it. Mm, I can um, understand that. Right? Out of fear. And I enjoyed what I did. I had a great income. And so I think, you know, he knew that he had something. I mean, I know he knew that he had more for me. But I want to share this because when I tell you the next part, you're going to see how this is how he shows up, at least in my life. But I had been praying about Psalm 25 and I had been saying, not my way, your way. My grandmother used to always say, he who walks ahead of God follows Satan's lead. And so I'm like, God, don't let me get ahead of you. Don't let me get ahead of you. Keep me behind you. Keep me behind you. You tell me where to walk and I'll walk. You tell me to go left, I'm going to go left. You tell me to go right, I'm going to go right. So when that doorbell rang and they asked me, the first homeowner, you know, neighbor, but the fabric asked me, I immediately felt confirmation in my heart. This is it. So I said, yes. The second one said, well, come to my house and look at mine because I'll get fabric too. We have 88 new houses in our subdivision with no window treatments, right? Because we all just moved in together. Yeah. And next thing you know, I have this business that I hadn't really planned for and I'm going through the whole neighborhood. So long story short, I did that for 16 years and I stayed home and raised my family while I did that. But at the same time, because of my background in finances and accounting and software, I realized at the beginning I wasn't making money. So I started developing these plans, kind of taking big business ideals and bringing them down into micro business. What does it mean to have a profit and loss? Am I using my accounting software? Am I marking up appropriately? Am I buying low enough? You know, all those things that we think about in large business, but we sometimes miss when we are working in a passion and doing it in a smaller way. Yeah, it sounds like what you did naturally is what Michael Gerber writes about in the E-Myth. Correct. That's exactly what I started doing and putting all of those things in the play. Love that book, by the way, and went through and started teaching. I started teaching in 2007 in my industry. By 2009, I was on the board of directors for my industry. And then in 2009, when you say industry, is this uh... the custom home furnishings industry okay. and the interior design industry? And so I was on the board of directors for the Window Covering Association of America. I served there for nine years. And then I went in with an investor and bought out the management company for the Custom Home Furnishings Academy, which was a 9,000 square foot facility in Charlotte, North Carolina. So two states over from where I live and put out a magazine every other month while running my other company at home while having middle school kids and early high school kids. And I'm traveling back and forth to North Carolina for a week a month teaching and running this school with other people. Okay. I'm just telling you it because life was crazy. So I have a question for you because there's, and I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening in at all different stages, right? Probably people that are dreaming about starting something, people that are at that place where they're starting to make about as much money as month, so to speak. Right. And other people that have actually grown past that. Now they have like our team, we have a total of about 10 people on our teams and there's people that are running very large organizations, but to move, you know, from starting, you know, with the women that showed up with the cloth 
and then serving your neighborhood to moving up to actually now taking a leadership role in your industry. What are some things that kind of led you to that? Because I, I would be willing to bet for folks out there, they're, they're like, well, how did she get from just starting this? <laughs> yeah, how did that actually, happen? You know, starting to be seen as a, a thought leader and an expert in the area that in the beginning, you kind of felt like, wow, who am I to be doing this? Great question. Um, you know, that's one I haven't been asked a lot, but I think it's one that is um, interesting to dig into a little bit. And so here's what happened. Number one, I know my strengths. Like if you do Strengths Finder 2.0, the Gallup Strengths Finder, yep. I know my strengths. They are maximizer, achiever, strategic, relator, and self-assurance. I know mm -hmm. them. And so what I started doing was I wanted to maximize everything. So just making something wasn't enough for me. I wanted to know how to make it better. I wanted to know how to make it correctly. I wanted to know how to do things as professional as I could in this new industry. I knew how to develop software. This was new, right? So I go online and start searching for organizations that know. I start looking, because that's before Facebook and all of that. I'm looking for groups. I'm looking for like-minded people. And I ended up finding the Custom Home Furnishings Academy, which had an online forum. So I go out there and spend days. It was the middle of the night, and I was realizing, God, I can't do this by myself. So, And I was begging. I said, either help me find some people to come alongside me or give me another direction because I feel like I'm drowning. And I found the Custom Home Furnishings Academy through a Google search that night. The next day I got approved and accepted to be part of this group and I read voraciously for probably two weeks every single thing that was on that forum where people were writing in about pricing, they were writing about good business practices, they were writing in about what to do and how to do it. And after I read it all, I started implementing it. And then I started realizing I had things to add. And so I just got in and just made myself a part of the group. Do you know what I mean? Just started interacting, sharing what I knew. I didn't take the information and hold it. I started giving back because I was watching everybody else give back. And then over time, people started reaching out and asking me questions because what do you know about this? What do you do with this? How would you do this? And then I started being able to bring all of my knowledge base into that forum, if you will, and just share, share, share. Then out of the forum, it was, hey, can you teach a course on this? Could you teach a class on this? And so it just kept building like that. And see, there's a mindset in there that I'm hearing that I think is really powerful, just a huge value bomb for people to take away, right? Is that you were learning, you were applying it instead of then just applying it and growing your business, you got involved, you started adding value, you started sharing. And I'm guessing your motivation wasn't to just get the next client or get somebody that you know, connect with somebody that could be totally beneficial to you. Because what I found when we show up in the world and we give and we serve and we help other people accomplish things that they're trying to accomplish, man, this reciprocity that just happens, it's just wonderful. But you have to approach it, I believe, from a really a pure heart, really rooted in what you said before in Psalm 25, don't you? Absolutely. And I knew I wasn't going to make any money from any of these men and women. They were not my clients. They were my peers. And so that made it even more so. I saw people sharing and I wanted to share back. It was a beautiful environment of, yes, we can compete, but we also can do it 
by sharing and making the whole industry better. And so we just shared everything. I literally, John, my husband would probably, I know he was mortified. I went out into that group and told everybody where I lived and invited everybody within driving distance to come to my house. And they did. He's like, you are crazy. What are you doing? And I said, I want to meet these people who were doing what I'm doing. And so about 20 women showed up at my house for a meeting to talk about everything we had connected online. And then one of them lived like 10 minutes down the road, invited me to her house to show me how she set everything up to tell me more about what I needed and didn't need. And now we have an organization. We have the Window Covering Association of America that's now in my area. And we're all members of it even today. But we started off because I just said, hey, here's where I live. You might want to come to my house and talk about these things in the industry. And they all showed up. Just crazy. That's so awesome. Good for you. I know. That was before we all knew that, you know, you could actually have meetups and things. So, But it was great. <laughs> and so long story short, I did all these things. My business grew. My name grew. I started becoming a speaker that people wanted to have at events. I was talking about pricing and profitability when nobody else was talking about it. It still is not a huge conversation in my industry outside of the total sales number. Like people really want to talk about your sales numbers, but nobody really wants to have the conversation about how much is left at the bottom. And that's the conversation that I like to have. But just to talk to you about now, here's the next big pivot. So in 2012, I owned my Scarlet Thread Interiors company. I was the vice president of the Window Covering Association, so the nonprofit, and I was part owner in Custom Home Furnish Academy, and I got extremely sick, like very, very ill. And I get myself between two events. I was at one event, and my client said, if you don't call the doctor while you're here and go when you get home, I'm calling your husband. So I said, fine. So I call, I get an appointment, I go home, I go into the doctor's office, and they pretty much tell me that I'm diabetic, and that I am in DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, and that with my blood sugar numbers, I'm close to going into a coma, and I need to go to the hospital immediately. That must have been a shock. It was terrible. I had lost probably about 20, 30 pounds. My hair had started to fall out. I was tiny. I mean, I was probably like a, I think if I remember back, I had to go buy clothes that were like a size zero, zero. Like I was wasting away to nothing. I was misdiagnosed as a type 2 diabetic simply because of my age, but we later found out about a month or two later that I'm a type 1 diabetic, which is autoimmune. I'm on insulin five to seven times a day until I go to be with the Lord. So my pancreas pretty much does not work. Some type of a stress, autoimmune shutdown. On top of that, while I'm there, they can't get a pulse in my right arm. They can't take my blood pressure and they can't get a pulse. And so they tell me, you might be having heart issues. You need to get to the cardiologist. So I go the next day to a cardiologist. I refused to go to the hospital because I was hard-headed and wasn't thinking straight. I learned to start giving myself insulin that very day. I go to the cardiologist the next day. And through a series of tests, we're now at, um, that was end of February. They find out that I have no blood flow to my right arm. And my right arm is my dominant arm. So within a couple of weeks, I go in and I have bypass surgery, a subclavian to brachial bypass. So they take a vein out of my leg, turn it around, make it an artery. They go in my neck and come out under my arm to replace the blood flow so that I can keep my right arm. 
And to say that was a shock, I was still very, very ill from the diabetes. I didn't have that under control, but we, you know, needed to save my arm. And so that ended up talking about knocking me out of commission. You know, here I am running for the most part, three companies and I'm knocked out of commission. And then I end up with nerve damage and um, my cardiologist said to me, you know, something's got to come off your plate. And then she said, you didn't get into this overnight. You're not going to get out overnight, but you need to get out. And so I came home and of course, through all the surgery, had all the rehab and all the, you know, trying to get better. I had a good six to nine months of that and just was praying, God, I can't do all this anymore. So what is it that you want to take off my plate? What do you want me to give up? Because I want to live. I want to be here for my kids. My kids were eighth grade and 11th grade. Um, tell me what you want. You can have it. You can take it. And so I really felt like I needed to sell the company that um, in North Carolina. So I took it to my partners at the time. Because you, know, you can't just sell a company if you're not the only owner of the company. Right. And what was so interesting was God had prepared the hearts of all of them. They were ready to sell to and that's odd because there were five of us and it is rare that you would have five people ready to sell at the exact same time. And all of us said, we're ready. And within that was in April when I said to them, I need to sell my part of the company. By May, we had two companies that wanted to talk to us. By June, we signed the paperwork. By July, we were out of it. I mean, it was that quick and we sold the company. And so then I was down to the nonprofit and my company, but my arm didn't work so well. So I knew I couldn't go back to using my arm and managing window treatments and pulling bolts of fabric, you know, and doing those things. I didn't have capacity. So I started just praying again. All right, God, back to Psalm 25, you are clearly changing my path and I'm going to have to be okay with that. So I'm going to go into this kind of season of waiting and I'm going to wait upon the Lord. And you tell me where you want me to go. You direct the path and I'm going to walk in it. I'm not going to say it was easy. I'm not going to say it wasn't a struggle, that giving up what you had for what might be. And then I just started realizing, like, here are the things that people want from me. And I kept saying, God, I don't have an arm to use, but I have my mind. So what can I do to use what you've given me with my thoughts and my mind if I cannot physically use my body? What might that look like? I called my pastor. I called some women at my church. I talked to some other people because I thought about going in and doing um, counseling, going back to school and doing counseling. And then I realized I really wanted to do coaching. And so I just said, well, Lord, I'm going to start taking courses and we'll just see if, if there's something you want to do with this because I really felt led to that. So I started taking through Light University. I started taking some Christian life coaching and business coaching through that. All right, so fast forward, here we are, we're in December of 2012. I'd had all my surgery and everything in February and March. We're in December. I've ended, you know, everything with the other company. The nonprofit was easy enough to handle. And so at that point, I just kept praying, God, I don't know how I'm going to start the coaching business, but I think I'm getting ready. So I started saying, but God, who's going to pay me for what I know? This is what I was telling you before we started, John. Who in the world would pay me? like for what I know. That seems so odd to me because we tend to sometimes myopically think that what we know is what everybody else knows. It's kind of like when you're younger and you think everybody does family the same way you do family and you go spend the night with a friend and you realize they do family different, right? And we don't often think like that. 
So and I'm not kidding. We go out to eat that night. It's my birthday. And we I had not I had this conversation with anybody. And we're sitting at Ichiban, which is one of those like Japanese steakhouses that wraps around. And it's kind of family style. So everybody's sitting around. There's a young mom and husband and their kids and my husband and my kids. And we're all chit-chatting back and forth. And her kids are really little. And, of course, mine are older. Starts asking me questions. And I start answering her. She leans around me and looks at my husband and she says, your wife should either write a book or start a company because people would pay her for what she knows. What was she asking you, Michelle? She was just asking me questions about her children. She was just asking me life questions, just as those kinds of questions that like an older mom or a younger mom would ask an older mom or a younger dad might ask an older dad, you know, just parenting, just general life questions. I mean, it wasn't anything earth shattering. It was general conversation. Her kids were probably, I think, two and four, and mine were probably 13 and 15 or 13 and 16. And so you could just see the difference in her two little, little boys and my two younger boys. So she just was talking, just nothing that I would have thought was earth shattering. Nothing. It, it was felt like just a general mom conversation to me. I was stunned. I started crying and I just couldn't believe it. And so I think it was probably about a week after that, two weeks after that, maybe it was the week after Christmas. I remember thinking to myself, hearing this, you need to have a Bible study in your home. I'm like, what? You need to have a Bible study in your home. And so I was like, all right, I don't know. I bet nobody will come. So I go out on Facebook and I write, hey, I'm going to have a Bible study in my home. I sent a note to my subdivision. Hey, I'm going to have a Bible study in my home. I don't know what I'm having a Bible study on. I just know I'm going to have a Bible study. If you're interested in information, let me know. 30-something people respond. So I start going, okay, God, 30 people responded. So I, you're right. I'll have a Bible study in my home. And then I had asked them, do you want morning or night? It came back 50-50. Mike, what are you going to do with that? So, I have two. <laughs> right? That's exactly what I did. I was like, God, so do I do morning or do I do night? And it was like, uh, you're going to do both. And I said, well, the only way I can do both is if it's the same study, because I also teach Sunday school to women. So like, I can't do three separate lessons a week, right? And try to run a company. So I said, fine. I did Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. Now, again, remember, I'm praying Psalm 25 about where I'm going to go with coaching, like what that's going to look like. Cause we're at the end of December and I'm opening my home in January. Now, was this for women or couples? Or? This was just for women. This was just a okay. women's Bible study because it was Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. And we started off by doing the power of a praying parent. That's what I thought. Cause they were all parents. Okay. They're all moms. I didn't even know some of these moms, like friends were inviting friends to my house. And so I opened up the house, put chairs out everywhere, and women just started coming. And at the very first Wednesday morning Bible study, I made a comment about what a creator we have, what a creative God we have, that he paints the sunrise every morning and a sunset every night. Look at the colors, look at the leaves, just look how creative he is. And it says that we are made in his image, so we create. We create thoughts and ideas and actions and it just uh, that type of a conversation. One of the women in there said to me, hey, Michelle, I have a friend who's an interior designer who's looking for a business coach who she wants a woman who loves the Lord to direct her in that, who's ahead of her. I'd like to connect you. Out of the blue, at my Bible study, a woman I'd never met, 
And I said, okay. She goes home, connects me with a client named Lindsay. Lindsay calls me and Lindsay hires me that week. That week she hired me and then turned around and hosted um, a luncheon at her home and invited all the designers in the area and my business exploded. So again, God brought me the business the way he wanted it to be. Not the way I envisioned it. I wouldn't have dreamt it that way. I did, could not have planned it that way. But twice he did that. He brought the business into my house. Now I know that's not how he works for everybody, but the two businesses that I have owned, he has literally brought them either ringing my front doorbell with fabric or brought them into my house because I was obedient to have a Bible study. So it was a woman I'd never met before. We're gonna take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Blinkist is a book summary description that has more than 2,500 titles in their archives. They distill the key thoughts and points into easily digestible 15-minute reads. I just recently read Abundance by Peter Diamandis and was so blown away that I got the book from my local public library and read the entire thing. Others, like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, I was quite fine with the Blinkist version. Read in their beautifully designed mobile app at their website, export to your Kindle, or listen to the audio version on the go. I prefer to listen while I read along right before I go to sleep. I fell in love with this service last year and turned John onto them in December. You as a listener, have our word that any products or services that John or I advertise on this show, we personally use and are not just fans, but raving fans. Blinkist is definitely in that category. So try it with a seven-day free trial. And if you use our affiliate link that's embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, it's an easy way for you to help support all the work that Sandra, John, Daisy, Fidias, and myself put into keeping this show going. So please, if saving hours and hours by reading a well-written summary of some of the top books out there sounds like something you'd want to try for seven days, Click on that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. When you factor in all the hours it takes to read a single book, it's really an investment. Or if you're like John and listen to audiobooks, even at 1.5 speed, that's even more time. I just downloaded Eric Metaxas' Bonhoeffer on Audible, and it's almost a 23-hour long book. Well, John and I are big fans of a book summary service called Blinkist. Blinkist has a library of more than 2,500 of the top books on the market. Most of them can be read in less than 15 minutes. So imagine taking all the key thoughts and stories of a book and distilling it down into a 15-minute read. That's what Blinkist does. Whether you're interested in leadership, marketing, entrepreneurship, personal development, sales, management, motivation, psychology, economics, finance, self-help, even marriage, parenting, history, and more, Blinkist has something for just about everyone. If you click the link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink, that's eternalleadership.com slash blink, you can try them for a seven-day free trial. And if you subscribe by clicking that affiliate link, it's a great way to help get a great service and help support the cost of editing and hosting this podcast. So go to eternalleadership.com slash blink to check out Blinkist. Thanks. Well, you know, in these kind of pivot points, Michelle, these two points, what did you notice or learn from that that everybody else listening can apply to maybe where they're at, where they'd like to go, what's on their heart now? 
I think the thing that I have learned through all of it is I literally, what I said to you, John, I couldn't have created it on my own. So I think for me, I am a planner, I am an organizer, I'm an achiever, and I'm a doer. And I think that for both of those, they came when I let go. When I said, I surrender, your way, not my way, you tell me where to go, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I think it wasn't me showing up with, here's my plan A and here's my plan B, which one are you going to bless? And that's more of how I, I normally roll, if I'm honest, in my natural state. I'm more of a planner, doer, let's put it out there. And I think in both of those cases, I was stripped. The first time I was stripped of a job and an income. The second time I was stripped of my health. And in both times, it was, okay, you tell me what to do. You tell me what to do. And so do I hate, you know, the health issues that I had? Yes. Do I hate that I still battle with them 24-7 and probably will till Jesus comes back? Yes. But I'm telling you what, the lessons I've learned, the opportunities I've had, the people I've had opportunity to share with, the way I've been able to look at things and experience things, I wouldn't trade one bit of it to go back to that health. Well, and here's a question for you, because you had mentioned before kind of this feeling as you kind of step into a new area, you're expanding not only your comfort zone, but it's more of, can I actually go succeed in business, yeah. right? You know, financially, would people pay for me in this new area where maybe you're not looking at yourself as an expert? Right. How did you kind of process through some of those feelings as you move forward? What I did was I reached out to a couple of people that I had taught classes to and that I'd worked with. And I asked them, could you fill in this blank? And then the sentence said something like, Michelle Williams is master of or master at. And I just left it blank. And I sent it out to some of the women who had been in my Bible study. I sent it out to some of the women that I had been teaching in business. And interestingly, John, they all wrote back with the same answer. I thought that they would have two different answers, one from my kind of church group and one from my business group. But that was not the case. They all wrote back with the same answer. And their answer was, Michelle Williams is master of taking complex ideas and topics and breaking them down and making them relatable so we understand. So whether we were talking about God's word or we we're talking about a profit and loss statement or we're talking about finances or pricing, they all said, I took things that felt overwhelming and big and broke it down so they could get it. And so when everybody answered me the same way, I sat back and said, okay, so that's how God's made me. So that's how he's made me. And that's what I can use because that's different. What a great exercise to kind of put that out there. Or have you ever shared that with other people like you're doing now on the podcast? And I'm guessing that there's a number of people that might be reluctant to send that out. But what encouragement would you give people to say, you know what, that could be a really powerful first step to start seeing yourself the way through other people's eyes. Cause I think that's a reflection yes. of not what you see in the mirror, but who God created you to be. And I think there's oftentimes this huge gap <laughs> between what we see in the mirror and what God sees. Right. And when we can start to close that gap, man, that's when we can really start to step into a full life. Agreed. And it's interesting that with the phraseology that you used, because I had a good friend who told me one time, 
when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and what I wanted to do. It's funny. I just had lunch with her the other day. I said, do you remember 10 years ago when we had this conversation and I'm actually doing everything I told you I wanted to do 10 years ago, even though I'd kind of forgotten about it. And what she said to me back then was, Michelle, I cannot wait for you to see yourself the way the rest of us see you. And mm. she said, I'm going to hold space until you can. I'm going to keep reminding you of how we see you until you see it. And so that was what planted in my mind the seed that, wait a minute, maybe things that are so naturally easy to me, I don't see as a gift. I don't see as a strength. And maybe I need to. And so how do I even figure out what that is? And yes, John, I do tell people about the I am master at, but I'm telling you what I do is as I have all my clients do that is part of their coaching. They have to go do that. But you're going to ask people that you have a good relationship with. So you're not going to ask the people that you have a bad relationship with, right? But right. it will people be people you trust, you value yes, their opinion. Yeah. There are people it's that the know people you think would be your ideal in bad days, right? Yes, yes. The ones that you would either want to have you know, an interaction with again, a relationship again, that work with again, or people just like them. Those are the people that I ask. the ones that I could trust to know that they would give thought to their answer. And when those answers came back, it was so huge for me. I had to sit with it a little bit. And then I started praying about it. And it wasn't in a braggadocious, prideful way, but God help me on this and help me take responsibility for this. So if this is how you've made me, and I'm a huge Psalm 31 fan, you know, a Proverbs 31 rather, you know, the woman there and he's given her these gifts and it was to take care of her family, to take care of her employees. It was to give to others and to take care of her home. And it didn't come, you know, with broken relationships in the home. Her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband is respected at the city gate. So this was a, a family that worked well together. And that's what I'd been wanting was something that would allow me to work well within my family, but to also provide. And if that's what you've given me is the ability to take big topics and break them down, then you show me how to use it. You show me how to apply it. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to own it. Right. And so that was at the end of 2012. Share with us kind of what's been happening as you've developed, you know, as things have grown sure. over the last five, six years. So started my business, Scarlet Thread Consulting, the first week of January 2013 when Lindsay called me. Everything got started that week. And I've been working strong and steady ever since. I work with a lot of creatives and my goal is to help them understand profitability. And so in 2015, I became a Profit First Certified Coach. And part of what I do is I work on the entire company. And I have a podcast as well called Profit is a Choice. And I named it that because I believe that as humans, we have choice, right? We have free will and we have choices. And our profitability, the numbers that are showing up on our income statement or our balance sheet, they're there because of choices we've made in the company. And so when people call me and say, hey, I want that number to be bigger, or I need a more salary, or I need to bring more money home, or I didn't know that I had to pay the government, or those numbers are wrong. Like, I can't get a different calculator and come up with another answer. Like, I can't do a different kind of math, right? But what I can do is go back and help them determine which choices created that outcome. And if that's not the outcome you want, we need to change your choices. And then I've been working really hard to help people understand that profitability is about more than the numbers. There's profitability of relationships. There's profitability of speech. 
there's the profitability of encouraging each other. And then with this overarching kind of idea that scripture says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so we have to think about more than just, even though we're running these businesses, even though we're trying to make money and take care, there's a bigger profitability search that we need to be looking for than just the number on an income statement. When you were talking, right, because I think that there's something really wise in what you just said, you know, looking at kind of the results of the choices we make and then taking the time and say, okay, is that the result that I wanted? You talked about not just business and profitability, but in relationships, right? As a mother, as a father, as a husband. And what is it do you think that's key in going back kind of in that process in changing the way that we actually make those choices? For my clients, a lot of times what I find is that we have to start with, number one, a commitment to doing things differently if called for, right? So I'm Mm -hmm. committed that everything goes on the table and is looked at. And then the second commitment is to own it. So we can't say it was somebody else's fault. Somebody made me do it. It has to be, I'm the owner of the company and the buck stops with me. And so it's about taking personal responsibility for Mm -hmm. our choices, for our actions. I even do this when I'm, you know, teaching a group, you know, when there's conflict and maybe we have anger issues and I hear people say is where I'm working even with a team, right? That person, they are so frustrating to me. They make me angry. And just that self-talk there is a huge red flag that you have not assumed personal responsibility because that's not how God created us to seed who we are and how we show up to others at all. And I think that is a foundational first step to really changing the trajectory of what we're doing. So when my kids were little and they were arguing, two boys, right? Two and a half years apart and fighting, arguing, whatever. And they would come to me. The rule in our family was you cannot tell me what your brother did until you tell me everything you did. So you tell me everything you did and then you can tell me what he did. So if you kicked him or you hit him, even if it was in response, you have to tell me everything. And then when you tell me everything you've done, you're now allowed to tell me what he did. And it started cleaning up a lot of that activity, right? Because if I let them tell me what their brother did first, then I got that same kind of conversation that you were talking about. But when they had to stand there and say, I hit him, I kicked him, I spit on him, I threw his truck on the ground, And then I would say, okay, now tell me what he did. It looked different in light of what they had done. And they recognized it when they had to tell me. So (laughs) same kind of thing. And I always tell my clients. Now we got to do that as adults. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, don't tell me what your coworker did. Tell me what you did. Now tell me what they did. But I tell my business owners, it's like this. Let's say you don't like the color of the home of your neighbor. Well, you don't own that house, so the only thing you can do is block the view, right? There's nothing else you can do. You can complain and mumble, but it's not going to change it. But if you don't like the color of your own home, as the owner, you can change it. And that's the way I think it is about our lives, about our business, about anything. I can change me. I cannot change anybody else. There is nobody that I can change but me. And so I can only change the business that I own, and I can only change me. Everybody's responsible for themselves, 
But I have to look at, like even myself, I look at who is the woman I want to be at the end of my life, right? And is everything I'm doing today, are the choices I'm making today leading me to become that woman? Are they leading me to become that manager? Are they leading me to become the leader that I want to be, to have the legacy that I'd like to have? Because it's all of my choices and all of these years that create that woman at the end of my life. And it's the same way in our business, right? If we say, here's the business I want to have, I want to have a business of integrity, but we're making decisions every day without integrity, that doesn't line up. So when mm -hmm. we define kind of who we want to be or whose we are and how we want to get there, then every day becomes this refining of our ideas and our choices and our thought processes to take us there. This is true in our life and it's true in our business. Yeah, that's so powerful and so enabling. And for people out there, your website is Scarlet, which is C-A-R-L-E-T, scarletthreadconsulting.com. Yes. And it's Michelle Williams with one L, so M-I-C-H-E-L-E -E, Williams with two L's. And, and you're on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Instagram and Pinterest and people can find you. We'll have all the links in our show notes. Also, is there another way for people to connect with you? Your podcast, sure. you can go yeah. to any podcast platforms, Profit is a Choice, uh, mm -hmm. plug in there. Any, any other ways to connect with you? Yeah, so I have a landing page just for your listeners, John, and that's at scarletthreadconsulting.com forward slash eternal leadership, all one word. Perfect. I'm going to put that in the show notes. I'm just writing a note. Awesome. Thank you. And just as we wrap up, Michelle, with everybody who's been just listening to this one awesome conversation, thank you so much. Any final just kind of thoughts or words of wisdom or a, a prayer for everybody out there listening? You know, I there's a Bible verse that I'd like to share, and I think it kind of encapsulates the conversation that we had today. Mm -hmm. And it's Deuteronomy 31.8, and it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And I think that's important for us to remember that we're not on this journey of life or business alone. We don't have to do it by ourselves. You know, there's a God who loves us, who created us, who gifted us and gave us talents and abilities. And he wants us to have a relationship with him and not one that's just at home, but one that is across all aspects of our life. And when he goes before us, he prepares the way, even when it's difficult. I know you shared with me, that with your health, you thought it was going to be a quick healing and it was longer. I would have thought that mine would have been under control and mine's lifelong. I mean, it is what it is, but he's before me and he makes peace in that path. And he tells me not to be afraid and not to be discouraged and that he's not going to leave me no matter what. He's not leaving me. And, you know, that's what he tells all of us. Like, I'm not special in that way right? He's special. I'm not special in that way. And I think that promise is one that we can hold on to. Well, and that's such a powerful verse because it's not just about the past and the present because I was actually invited to go to a conference recently and there's going to be somebody there who I just found out who's also speaking, who has caused me and my family some severe trauma and pain. And so my first reaction was, why would I even go? I don't even want to be where this person is. And I reached out to somebody who's in my Bible study. And I said, man, you know, help me think about this. And it was such wise advice. And he's like, well, 
let's bring this before the Lord. Have you done that first? And that had not been my first reaction, right? Because of how I was reacting internally to the situation and what he shared with me. And it's what you just quoted here right out of the Bible is, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. If you're there with God, you know what, guess what? He can show up. And I have no idea if maybe a healing could happen or maybe there's, healing externally or internally, but something's going to happen if God wants you there that's in his will, that's going to be a good outcome. So look at it from that perspective. And as my wife and I really prayed about it, I decided I am going to go. And I got to tell you with a still a bit of trepidation, but also a bit of excitement because I'm showing up with and in partnership with Father God And so now I'm actually looking forward to a situation where probably in the past in my, you know, that self I see in the mirror, I might've avoided. You you never know, you know, it's sometimes stepping into some of those situations while we're in maybe our humanness and pain or going through adversity, that if we keep looking at him and trusting him and you know what you talked about earlier, my prayer every day especially since the accident as I'm really operating in partnership is that he just shows me that next small step forward to keep me on the path that he wants me on because there's so many things that can distract me. And when that is your filter and your focus, a lot of the things and opportunities and, you know, life that happens, I can confidently say yes and no to things because It's not me making the choice. I'm trusting God. And some of them feel completely counterintuitive and they've led me to some amazing things that have happened in my life. I got to tell you. I agree with that. You know, he promises to be a light under our path. He's not saying I'm going to light up a baseball field or a football field or, you know, give you the GPS coordinates. He says a light. And I think it's the light to the path, which means a couple of steps out because that's what keeps us tied to him. I know myself, and I really think, John, if he showed me the whole picture, I'd probably go running off trying to get there my own way. And so, (laughs) right? I mean, I would. I know I would. And so, Well, you're a maximizer. You're an achiever. Yeah, if he showed you the end goal, you'd be like, oh. I'm going to work out four ways to get there. But by (laughs) following kind of a breadcrumb trail, you know, that light to the path, that next step, I ask myself all the time, In this next moment, if I don't know what to do, how can I love God and love people? Mm. God, help me love you and love people. I don't know what to do here. How can I love God and love people? And that keeps me centered in that moment for where he's taking me. And then in Joshua, the first chapter, which I love so much, um, my business is named out of Joshua chapter two. But in Joshua chapter one, when the Israelites are getting ready to take the promised land, God literally through Joshua tells them four times, do not be afraid, be strong, courageous. And I keep thinking, why did he tell them four times, like back to back to back? Because we are fearful people. And so if he knows that and he's already trying to calm that, we can rest in the fact that he's got it under control. Yes. Well, that's awesome. Michelle, thank you. That was such an encouraging conversation, even just for me personally. I know our audience is absolutely going to love it. I just thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're doing in the world and how you're showing up, the choices you are making. And uh, you are welcome back anytime. And I'd love to stay in touch. And I really hope our audience uh, just plugs in to what you're doing, to your podcast, and just the kingdom impact that you're making in this world. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. 